Anti-Alexis Invincibles book a trip to win another trophy at the home of Tottenham Hotspur. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Just about got that out. Give us a five-star review. Write nasty things about no one because everybody's on the podcast. It's a full boat. It's a great day. I'm excited. And we get to talk about another trip to Wembley. Wembley. We are the famous Arsenal. We're going to Wembley. Um, yeah, so... What can you say? I mean, maybe not an instant classic, but we got another chance to win another trophy at Wembley. And I have to say, you know, I kind of want to say fuck you, Arson, because we're really all pretty committed to this Wenger out thing, and we're really pretty committed to the idea that he's passed it, and he just keeps rocking up at Wembley for trophies, and it's kind of working against the narrative. So if you could do something about that, Arson, that'd be great. In any event... We're going to talk transfers a little bit, but we will talk football. Uh, I have been instructed to do that. Uh, and we will be joined by Tim. He is here. Uh, he is on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Welcome back onto the podcast. We missed you. Oh, thank you. Just, I just, don't believe you, but... Yeah, just to be clear, <laughs> Paul didn't miss you. I missed you. Uh, Paul is here. He's on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo! Clive's here. He's on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Yeah, okay, good stuff. So, uh, well, Tim, I want to give you a chance just real quick before we dive into the game. Uh, Paul and Clive and myself, to some extent, not that anyone cares, had the chance to weigh in on the Alexis Mkhitaryan thing, and it's too big a topic not to at mm. least get a little take from you. So I'm kind of curious to just quickly get your take on whether you think it was the right move at the right time. Are you excited for Mkhitaryan, maybe a coda mm. on Alexis's time at Arsenal? Anything you just want to say on that topic before we dive into the second leg of the semifinal? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of waiting and seeing on this. I, I've, I've liked what I've seen of Mkhitaryan. Um, I, even when he has played for Man U, I, th- I think more the kind of the thing is he doesn't seem to have played that often, but I can't pretend I, I follow Man U with, with any great intensity, so maybe I'm wrong there. But he's clearly a very talented player. And, um, you know, in terms of, I, I'm not convinced that we, you know, absolutely, yes, we wanted him. Um, in his own right, I think we did a couple of years ago. I, th- I think we're kind of making the best out of a bad situation, which is kind of fine with me. You know, if it's a choice between selling the Alexis and selling the Alexis and getting a good player in return, I, I know what I prefer. I think um, I read a really good piece on this on Eurosport um, earlier this week by Rich Jolly, who's a really, really good football writer. And he was saying that Arsene tends to have success with exactly this type of player. His big biggest transfer successes are usually guys he picks up off of you know a big club who uh, you know slightly lost their way and he kind of you know because Arsenal's good at giving them a platform and you know if your confidence is shot and you're quite a mature player Arsenal's actually quite a good manager to have um, if you're an attacking player that is and so you know Mkhitaryan he fits that kind of you know Bergkamp, Kanu, Henri, you know that that kind of, even Alexis um, and Ozil to some degree that kind of you know did the big move didn't quite work out and then you come to Arsenal which you know it, it, not quite the elite club but you know you can you can be something you can be a star here so I'm, I'm really curious about it I think all of a sudden um, Arsenal you know in losing Alexis and um, we've got Ozil playing really well we've got Jack Wilshere playing well now I think Alex Awobi is playing quite well. 
um, we've got Mkhitaryan, all of a sudden we could become a completely different team again. We could get some of that technical quality back that we've been missing basically since Kazola got injured. So I, I'm kind of I'm excited to see how it turns out. I, I still think you know it depends. Um, which Mkhitaryan we're getting, whether his confidence is damaged irrevocably and how he links up with everyone. But yeah, I'm, I'm reasonably excited by it. I, I think I was I was never all right with the idea of Alexis going, but if he was going to have to go, this, is, this has certainly made me feel better about it, whatever that's worth. Okay. Um, as for Alexis, yeah, yeah I, just, you know, absolutely top draw player one i really really liked watching so a player i think this is why um some of the kind of criticism has confused me because generally speaking alexis is exactly the sort of player that english football fans love you know hugely talented but like commit like committed to a point that's almost intimidating um and i've loved watching that kind of really visceral footballer um and i get people's frustrations with him it's not it's not that i'm blind to them but um, I, I think it's just mattered less to me and, and partly just because I really enjoyed watching him play and j- just look at some of the goals he scored uh, you know look, look at the two FA Cups we won in his time here um, you know we absolutely would not have won either of them um, without him and he, he, he just had that ability to turn games and um, you know I'm pissed that he's going to United and I hope it's terrible for him there but I bear him no ill will I understand why he left yeah um, well. I mean, would you say, I mean, that in the end, even though you didn't want him to go, it had really become a situation where it was a a move the club had to make? It it sounds like it, yeah, doesn't it? I mean, you know, some of the players seem quite frosty towards him. Again, that's not a situation I think I was ever blind to. Mohamed Elneny Um, is like dragging him on Twitter. It is the strangest thing in the world. Mohamed Elneny is dropping the mic picking it up <laughs> dropping it again yeah all over the place i i i never doubted you know the whole uh, maybe he's a bit unpopular um but like you i i i just don't think maybe that matters as much as other people do but yeah. i mean it's it's clear that you know wenger talked a, a, a lot about atmosphere whether he's just being protective but but it sounds a bit more like it was the uncertainty not so much with alexis's behavior but more the situation where he was obviously quite clear that he wanted to go. And, you know, eventually Arsenal's going to have to learn his lesson here, I think, because he admitted that his future cast a massive cloud over the club. Um, He had the whole Chamberlain situation. And by the way, we won six out of seven after we sold Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. And the one we didn't win was the draw at Stamford Bridge. So, you know, maybe he's going to have to learn his lesson here. And and if, if these things you know, aren't conducive to a good atmosphere and they are damaging, then, you know, he'll need to bring them to a conclusion um, a bit sooner. Yeah, it sounds like you're not down with hashtag ideal situation, but that's maybe a discussion (laughs) for another day. Clearly not. (laughs) Um, All right, well, let's come on to the game. I mean, in the end, it is a celebratory occasion, and I'm I'm happy to be celebrating it, but Clive, um, it didn't necessarily start that way. We did that thing we do sometimes, you know, the one where we can't pass it to our own team. We did that a little bit. Um, it's weird because we played Chelsea so well in a back three in so many games since Conte has has come to Chelsea. And we started in the back four. Wobi was dropping very deep, almost into defense to, to help with the wing backs. And, and Shaka was playing 
like a support striker. So it was a really bizarre formation, and we really seemed to struggle in it. For you, what was the early struggle down to most of all? Uh, we didn't know our jobs, right? So in the, all the recent games versus Chelsea, when we've gone three at the back, we all know our matchups. We all know our jobs straight away. We all know where we should be on the pitch. And it becomes a man v man. I'm going to push you back. You try and push me back. And it's, it's we match up everywhere on the pitch. And it's like, it's been quite good. I felt we've had success getting behind their midfield. We sort of push high. We fill into the centre. We cycle the ball. And we are very calm around the edge of their box. And they are scared of us when we get the ball in, into their back three. And it's been proven over the last sort of eight games. And then we changed the formation. I, and I got to admit to you, I was I was struggling with it. I really was. I was already nervous with the semi final. You, you weren't alone. So, <laughs> the oh, players were too. Know, <laughs> I sort of, you know, sometimes you know we all watch football avidly, right? But some games you 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 connect to in different ways, and this one I connected to very nervously. And the formation was not helping me. It wasn't so much the formation. You said that Awobi dropped deep. He didn't drop deep. He was pushed deep. Moses had him, he pushed him deep, Awobi tackled him, where he was tackling him was on the edge of our box, and then he's having to get up the pitch. That means we're not supporting Lacazette, that means we're not pushing them back. They pushed up to the halfway line. I think we had one offside, was literally like one yard into their half. They pushed us back and we were in trouble. We weren't connected, we had we didn't know our jobs at all. And I, I was going mad. I, I was literally going, I don't think I was talking sense, I was just going mad about this one. And then it, it, do you want to differentiate that? Do you want to differentiate that from other, other periods or is that Well no, no, <laughs> I just think sometimes you feel a game, you know, you feel it and you think, Yeah, I got this one, I got this one. But no, nah, my trauma was not I don't think I was talking sense, right? I just I was just nervous, just reacting like a fan. Uh, and I'd I just didn't like it. I, I saw too many players not sure of their roles. Shaka was trying to do a Ramsey thing, and he and he doesn't do it so well. Um, Jack was trying to do everyone else's jobs, and he couldn't do his. He eventually started losing his own. And Koscielny was starting to creep the more times that Hazard started to run him. They both wanted to go and con- connect into Hazard. He's just too cute. He rolls around the corner. I tell you, you know, we're lucky that William got injured because I think they would have. They were ripping through us, and the mistake they made. If anything, that game for them was lost in the first 20 minutes. Yeah. If they scored two clear goals, I think we're in trouble. The fact we got a uh, ricochet, ricochet, ricochet goal and we were 1-1 <laughs> at half-time, I think that was very, very fortunate. Yeah, of course. And I mean, look, at, at the end of the day, I, I think when we come on to the second half, we'll talk about a, a different display and one that I think was worthy of the, the win. But I agree with you in terms of getting back on level terms. Um, in terms of getting back on level terms is a terrible turn of phrase. In any event, uh, Paul, I have reserved uh, for you a question that really gives you the platform to do what you do best, which is lay into a player and really just coat him with with abuse. Um, And in this respect, we're going to speak about uh, Shaka, Granit Shaka, um, Uh a player I know that we all have a great deal of, of love and affection for, but I could not understand his role in this game. Now, presumably... You know, he's he's supposed to be a little more advanced with El Nenny supporting him, but he was often the furthest forward player. Now, admittedly, <laughs> that wound up getting us a goal, uh, so what the fuck do I know? But I just thought he was really struggling to be involved, where to stand, where to be. Playing on the shoulder of the last defender certainly doesn't seem to suit him, and he didn't look comfortable there. And in fact, at halftime, I believe it was, he had the fewest touches of any outfield player other than Lacazette, 
and this is one of your central midfielders. Um, for you, was Shaka's positioning and performance in that position troubling? Uh, no. More, <clears throat> yes, as part of the whole. I mean, I really felt that the midfield three, I guess we need to take a step back. This was their second game playing in that format. And while they looked pretty sparkling against Crystal Palace, uh, Crystal Palace didn't really have the the approach or maybe the firepower to challenge us in the same way in the midfield. <clears throat> so you come up against a Chelsea with a 3-5-2, I guess, or, or, or some version of a 3-5-something or other. But three players in midfield, and they've... You know, the reason they've switched to that and they stuck with it and they're eight points ahead of us in the league is that it's really good against a back four. And I think you can say that our three really kind of didn't know how to match up against a much more muscular, athletic three, uh, a really good three against... Uh, any team in the league uh, with two pretty dynamic forwards ahead of them. I mean, they just didn't know where they were coming or going. Um, You see that on the first goal with Hazard where, I mean, they basically play, I think it's Azpilicueta, just rolls it to Kante, who's a straight ball up to Pedro, who, who knocks it a little bit to his right, and Hazard's through on goal, and literally they're untouched. It's like a training grand move. It's probably more like that thing we're told about where we practice without any players on the other side so we can get our our uh, automatisms. And like, the you know, nobody, not only does nobody put a shoulder on anybody or, or put in a challenge, we're not close enough to cast a shadow on them. Well, I don't know and where Mustafi was going either, too. I mean, he, he steps out. Yeah. He, he has the wrong instinct of who to be where the danger is coming from in that situation. He does. And when I first saw the goal, I'm like, that's Mustafi, isn't it? Or, or maybe it's Cashel. And, and then I'm like, you work your way up the pitch, but you actually see they played it from the back, untroubled, uh, right through our middle, right up the center of midfield. Yeah, the midfield put no pressure on the ball as it was coming through. And then Mustafi yeah. steps up in 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 no awareness of, of Hazard's run. I mean, I guess my, my question, though, is, you know, with respect to Shaka, it's not that I'm picking on him in a, in a half where there were other poor performances. Jack, who I thought finished the game well, wasn't good in the first half either. I mean, I thought the whole midfield really struggled. To your point, they were kind of outmatched. But I don't understand the thought process. I mean, do you feel that that Shaka was told, hey, let Will Shernell Nenny be the platform and you go up and join the attack? Do you think he just didn't really know what spaces to occupy with this group? What makes, What made him decide was it instruction or instinct to start to occupy such advanced positions no i think it's absolutely instruction to do what he was doing i mean him and jack were basically mirroring each other uh and you saw it in the crystal palace game i mean they were utterly symmetric in terms of their positions on the pitch they were less challenged physically so that they can get moved around so much and pulled around the place uh, but, I mean, pure symmetry in the Crystal Palace game. Uh, I do understand why the manager was tempted to go with this formation. Uh, he would love it to be uh, a formation that works for us. It allows him to do 4-3-3 or, or 
uh, basically a four at the back and a more attacking approach. He talked about this was a game we needed to win uh, and we needed to go for the win. And that's why I went with the four. So I understand why he wanted this to this to work. Um, I didn't hate Chaka as much as as maybe you did at the time. Obviously, as things went on, everybody got better. But even when we weren't very good, the individual performance of the midfield, um, I actually thought each player had his moments and they also had their brain fart moments, particularly Jack and Chaka. Um, I kind of liked it. I like him being more attack- attacking. He calls himself a false really? 10. Yeah, you, you yeah, like, yeah. See, see, I couldn't disagree yeah. more. I think Let this me is a tell player. You why. Okay. Yeah, sure. Because... Lord knows you've told us what you don't like about it. Well, I can tell you um, what I do like about him. I just don't think it's from an advanced position. Yeah. Go ahead, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I do. I, I think this, and then he sees the pitch far better from deep for some reason, far more penetrative. And I think, conversely, Chaka looks a much more mobile player uh, in this box-to-box uh, athletic uh, roaming position. I think him and Jack keep a really good eye on each other. I, I just like it a lot better uh, in terms uh, of how he plays. I think he did it. The thing was, it's one of these things where his we might agree on his uh, the average of his performance. I just think even when he was a bit crap and him, Jack, him and Jack both, I thought they actually did quite a few really good looking things. And had a few brain fart moments where you're like, uh, you average that out in your mind and you say that they're not having a good game. I think as soon as we got ourselves into this game, and unfortunately it did um, uh, coincide with Willian getting kicked off. Um, but well, when I, mean, I look the switch back to on, the back three made a big difference too. We'll yeah, come yeah. on to that in a moment. But, but Willian came first. Yeah, and I I still think we got a bit got a bit better. We got a foothold. We, we got a foothold. We had got a yeah. foothold before William had gone. We got a bit better after William had gone. I don't think he'd necessarily done anything brilliant apart from uh, one through ball that put him in on goal. Uh, but that was a deflection off Mustafi. So it, it's really hard to kind of boil out where the change was. But I think we were getting stronger as we got into it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, uh, we'll have to see a lot more performances, but. I kind of like this, and it does set us up to be a more attacking side because we're bringing in. We brought in Mikatarian, who's sitting on the bench effectively, uh, and we may get one more attacker. So he needs another attacker up front. I kind of know why he wanted this to work, but there's a reason Chelsea mm-hmm. do very well with a, a three-man midfield against a, a four-man in the back. Look, I and as you know, I have a great deal of respect for the way you observe football and your conclusions that you draw and your opinions. I, I just oh, yeah. saw this totally differently. I mean, I, I saw I saw so many things wrong with it, but as far as Shaka goes, I, I couldn't disagree more with the the view of him as a player, I see him as a player who sees the pitch so much better from a deeper position, reads what's happening in front of him when he has more room to operate. He's an exceptional long ball passer. Um, You know, that is really his best attribute. He's not great at passing in tight spaces um, and he's not quick to touch and turn. So on the edge of the box, I think you lose what he does well, which is spraying those passes to the wings, playing the long passes, and he doesn't have the range to get back. So unlike a Ramsey who has a huge engine and can run and run and run, Shaka really gets stranded when he's up there. So I, I saw it differently. Now, 
I, I do. I, I just want to quickly say, I don't know that he doesn't have the range. He doesn't have really quick feet, but he can move once he gets going. I, I sometimes think he doesn't really have the instinct to get back. I think he moves fast he's enough. He's so laborious, though. He's so slow. I mean, I th- to I get think, going, yeah, yeah, uh, 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 and to spot that he needs to get going. That's I the think instinct. Those are, are, yeah, yeah. So, Paul, those to me, it's problems. it's just where I've seen him thrive when he sits deeper and he can see the game developing in front of him. I think because he's just a little slower instinctively, he he can make things happen. I mean, we don't have to spend the whole time talking Shaka. Yeah, I L- see that, but I do yeah. like this new look, and I'd yeah. like to see a bit more from him. Well, so a couple things, Tim. First of all, just real quick, do you want to weigh in quickly on sort of the the <clears throat> dysfunction of the first half, the the Shaka advance role? I mean, do you do you see that as having been a bizarre way to set up, especially given the hi- history we've had in the back three? I, I actually don't, to be honest, because I because Xhaka did it against Crystal Palace as well, and I, I thought it worked reasonably well. I, I, I everything think, um, worked reasonably well, well against Palace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I think the point is well made about how quickly he gets back. I actually think his touches in tight spaces are, are pretty good further forward. Um, he's picking up really good pockets of space. Whether that's just because it's never really been done before and opponents aren't wise to it. Um, that that could be it. Maybe if he did it for another three or four games, um, our, our opponents would be a bit more savvy about picking it up. But I actually think his combination play and some of his touches have been pretty decent from there. My kind of annoyance in the first half, I mean, I was surprised we started with the back four anyway, given uh, the success we've had against Chelsea with the back three. But the thing we really did in the cup final last year with Xhaka and Ramsey in midfield was we just we pushed up. We pushed them right up the pitch and we played the game in their half. And um, we gave them a problem in terms of whether to pick up Ozil or whether to pick up Ramsey. And this time, for me, in the first half, I actually thought El Nenny was one of our biggest problems um, in the first half. And then he became the solution to his own problem in the second in that, he, he didn't know whether to stick or twist. I think Elneny is naturally a very conservative player, um, which which has its good points, particularly at the base of midfield. He wants to cover. Um, he doesn't want to just leave his teammates. But at the same time, I think, you know, Xhaka and Wilshire were playing, you know, quite into Chelsea's half. And Elneny wasn't quite brave enough to go and join them. And he, he ended up kind of doing neither um, and then, it, obviously, in the second half, we rectified that by basically dropping him into the back three or basically making a virtue of the fact that he wasn't pushing on side. But I basically think that the three elements of the midfield weren't quite on the same page. And I think it was El Nenny more than the other two, who you know, which makes some sense because Jack and Wilshire have been playing together for a few weeks now. But whereas I just think El Nenny was a bit too cautious to do that, you know, really taking the game to Chelsea and pushing them up the pitch. And and, and it was almost like at half-time, Wenger kind of said, right, if that's the way it's going to be, let's do this properly, stay back, stop Hazard getting through, and, you know, let's see what happens from there. And, and, and it worked. Mm. I, you know, it's it's just interesting to me. We, we look at earlier in the season when we were playing sort of that hub-and-spoke system where Shaka was at the base of the midfield and it was coming to him and he was distributing and Ramsey was going and, and Shaka was sitting and he would routinely play 90 passes a game. He would lead us in touches and for him at halftime to have played like 18 passes or whatever it was and have so few touches. I just wonder if, if that positioning was, it was challenging for him to, to really know how to get involved. And, and obviously some of that is the ball coming to him. And the fact that you know, look, the, mm. the positions he was taking up are the positions you probably would have expected a Wobie to be in had he not been back in, in the defensive half of the pitch. Um, 
you know, another thing that really impacted this game, we don't have to touch on this, Tim, but they were really fouling aggressively, a lot of rotational fouling, especially yeah, yeah. on Oz- Ozil. And I think that they really targeted Ozil and felt that if they could shut him down, they could shut off our supply line, and that worked. Um, and the fact is, Michael Oliver really didn't control the game using his yellow cards, so they were able to foul and foul and foul yeah. and foul and foul. Um, and also, Ozil was playing like very he was very glued to that right hand side in the first half and yeah. Chelsea's wing backs push right up so him and Awobi were kind of getting pushed back whereas in the second half I think we controlled the wing backs a bit better because we matched up basically at the back instead of five on four we went five on five and we just let Ozil move around and uh, they found it much more difficult to pick him up after that yeah, I mean, were, were you impressed? Well, so actually, I want to ask you just a real quick question first on this, and then we can go to Clive on the on the switch. But, you know, we saw earlier in the season the manager's insistence on sticking with a back three, even in the Europa League and, and Carabao Cup, where we sometimes complained the personnel didn't suit the formation. And we kind of hypothesized that that may have been because that's the system the first team plays. And so he really wanted to reinforce that in anyone who was going to be playing in it. Do you think that maybe he says, all right, I've got Mkhitaryan now, I may have Aubameyang coming in, LOL. Um, and to get these players in and to get the most out of them, we're going to need to play a four-three-three or at least a, a back four and you know some formation up ahead of that. Do you think that this is a harbinger of the back three being an option to switch to but no longer being the first choice and that we really are going to go back to a back four to accommodate the new player or players that we have coming in? I think so, yeah. And I think that, you know, um, we saw the big advantage last night. I, I don't think any of us are really under the illusion that this has been like, this has been the master plan all along. But um, as something we have spoken about, particularly Paul, is that, you know, that one of the advantages of going back to a back three for, you know, it's, it's been like nine months now. We've we've largely p- played it and now the players are familiar with it. Um, yeah, the, the the big advantage is that we can switch to it in game, and I think this is the first time I can remember. I can remember times we've gone from three to four when we're chasing a game. This is the first time I can remember us going the other way around in the interests of greater defensive security. So that's that's one of the the kind of upsides of it that we really saw last night. That now we do have the option to do that um, and to do it fairly quickly and comfortably as we did last night. So. Um, yeah, that, that that is a good thing, and and I think you're right. Given the players that, um, you know, given that we signed Mkhitaryan um, in particular, and you you can see us going back to a back four, and perhaps maybe just in these big games we go to a back three, or we just use it as a kind of ace up the sleeve, um, which I think is no bad thing. Yeah, and and you know ultimately, it's interesting, right? Because Arsene Wenger first and foremost wants to impose his will on the other team. He doesn't like reacting to what they do, and the the good and the bad of it is, instead of just going with the back three, reacting to how Chelsea play, and we've had a lot of success in it. He said we're a back four team now. I'm going to start with the back four. This is the way it is. He tried to impose that style on Chelsea. It didn't work, and to his credit, he switched. And Clive, the switch made the difference beyond just saying. We switched to a back three, and that was that. Do you want to get a little more granular in what about the change in particular allowed us to go from kind of surviving the game to thriving in it? Yeah, this game was a struggle for me in the first half, as I said earlier. And I think sometimes when you can't see your own team, what I do is I watch the other team. And we've got some real good history with um, with Chelsea, and we know all about their win backs, and we know about the Bellerin Alonso battle and the the Oxlade Chamberlain or Kalasinic battle with Moses, and 
we know what to do. We know we can outpass them and send them midfield. We know we can push them back. I'm watching this game. I'm seeing Alonso putting in cross after cross. I'm seeing Moses being very dangerous on the right-hand side. So straight away, my brain says, positionally, we're not where we need to be. I'm seeing Chelsea on the halfway line pushing up for offside. Thinking, okay, they've got us now. They're excited. They're pushing us back for the first time in a long time. As Tim alluded to in the cup final, we won the push race, right? We pushed them back. So what did we do? And this is why I thought it was actually genius, actually. So, I, I'm, I'm, I, Tim was talking about the midfield three in the first half. I think it was a collective thing rather than, than just down any. I didn't think any of them knew what to do. But what do we do? Do we push on to them or do we drop off? And this is what I thought was really, really clever. What he did is he made the pitch bigger. He dropped his centre-backs much deeper. He put El Nenny in the middle and almost made him like a an Eric Dyer. I don't want to use that swear word in his podcast, but <laughs> an Eric Dyer rush centre midfielder, centre-back centre in the three. So when El Nenny, the whole job was get El Nenny on the ball to start us off. Split our centre-backs wider, then our full-backs automatically go higher. Our full-backs go higher, guess what? Moses and Alonso dead. First substitution, well, Moses gone, because you're not effective any longer. We need some more energy from Zappa Costa. So that's the genius here. You split the centre-backs and you push them back in the wide areas. Chelsea use their wide players to exit. They go out to the wide and they exit into the middle with a first-time ball around the corner and they flood from there. So we took that away because now they're not receiving the balls in the right position. They can't get their exit plan to make it dangerous into William, into Pedro, into Hazard when they're running at us. When they run at us, because our centre-backs in the back four are now attuned as back three defenders, when they see danger, they they attract, they connect. But what are you doing in your two and you attract and connect? You're leaving your mate on his own. And so our default behaviours defensively now are like back three players. So by putting on any in the centre there and saying to him, feel the game. When we're when we when we have the ball, go and get it. If you go if we're in good possession, push in front. If we want you to drop deeper and start us off, then push behind. When we need you to defend pressure, stay with the back three. And I thought it was a genius move. And what he does, it stretched the pitch. In the first half, we couldn't get our five side football going. And they could press Ozil, because there's no Sanchez now, so they can focus on the one-man Ozil and rotational foul him. They could foul Jack. Jack made some fouls because he lost the ball. So Jack was playing hero ball. His retention was not good because they could crowd him because the space was compressed. By dropping on any back and our centre-backs going back, strangely, I don't like I don't like normally seeing this if Arsenal because we're not that athletic. But by making the pitch bigger, we became more technically assured on the ball. And once we could build... We pushed them back. Once our wide players were higher, we pushed them back. Awobi got higher. He was no longer playing left wing back. He got higher because Monreal got higher and everything moved forward. And once we get around Chelsea's area, they are nervous. I know Chelsea's seen ticket holders and they say the difference between Arsenal and Tottenham is when Tottenham get around our area, they are not as creative as you. We don't worry. When we get to their area, they get concerned. And so I think it was a genius move to make the pitch bigger to allow us to build play. And once we get build play and rhythm and confidence, we started to push them back. But the real trick was splitting the centre-backs, which then pushed our wing-backs forward, which then pushed the Wobie and Ozil forward, and everything became in their half. And that's why we eventually won the game, got a goal, we sat in, and then um, and saw it out with no danger. Yeah, That's and how I, I saw it. And I think 
given that the away goals rule was only going to kick in uh, at the end of extra time and we had gotten ourselves to 1-1, opting for a little more control of the match is fine, right? Because you never know yeah. when something's going to break your way. And ultimately, that second goal, while it is a nice stabbed finish by Shaq, and no question, it's, yeah. it's a little bit of luck. And it falls for us. And, <clears throat> you know, we had control of the game at that point. So I think that is really uh, deftly handled, Clive. And I appreciate uh, a comprehensive I was, I was. And, and thoughtful <laughs> answer. Um, and can I, can I just add to that what a bastard it is that the year we go out of the Champions League, we finally discover how to manage a two-legged tie. Yeah, yeah. Away, like, you know what? Manage the second leg. <laughs> you think, where has this been for so many years? Can, can I make we a point, look so though? so professional. So professional. I, in I that don't know how leg. much you have to manage the two legs when you're going to lose them 10-2 on aggregate to Bayern, so <laughs> let's not get too ahead of ourselves there. Um, Still be pretty good practice for the Europa League. Actually, where... that's a very fair point. Yeah, I mean, we've got, we've got two-legged yeah, yeah. ties ahead. Um and and speaking of two legs, Paul has two legs. Let's get his opinion on some stuff. Um, Paul, I'm an or, expert. To be fair, I've heard you referred to as a tripod sometimes. But um, <laughs> so, you know, it's funny. Look, when we're playing poorly, and I'm guilty of this too, it's so easy to kick us when we're down. Oh, we're terrible. We're fucking shit. We're terrible. And then, you know, Alexis leaves and everyone's like, oh, it was Alexis. Alexis was shit. We're really good. But actually, guess what? Two players named Lauren Koscielny and Nacho Monreal are back in the side. And I think when you're playing without an Ozil or when you're playing without a Lacazette, when you're playing without an Aaron Ramsey, those are eye-catching names and it's easy to realize how much you miss. When you're playing without a defender, sometimes it, it goes amiss. And you're playing with guys like Holding and, and Chambers and as much as we love them, Maitland-Niles. And now Koscielny and Monreal are back. I thought they both starred in this game and we're really seeing how impactful it is to have those players back. Were they... Uh, stars of this game for you and, and what do you think it's meant to us not just in this game but generally to have them back in the side yeah well I think they were both utterly imperious against Crystal Palace and Mustafi's come up a significant level and he's the guy in the the uh, Koscielny Monreal sandwich there so um, mm, that sounds nice our, yeah I know yeah um, so but the last two games definitely the defense is a massive step but step up from where it was um i think i mean hazard's going to give anybody conniptions and he certainly uh gave kishelny and mustafi a game there but i mean overall you can see he's he's actually at a pretty good physical level which is obviously a, a worry to us uh he's super sharp motivated monreal's just i think i think i uh used the term He's uh, he's on fire like your girlfriend with a UTI. I mean, it's just he's absolutely unbelievable at the moment. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I know it was do a lucky goal. Do me a favor, goal. though. Don't yeah. don't tell my wife about my girlfriend. All right. Thanks. Yeah. No, no issue. Um, but I mean, although it was a lucky goal, there was something about. I mean, it was a it was a really it was that. Form, formation we're using in the box for those for those corners where say what you'd like we got a really good header on it and a powerful header on on it into the into a dangerous area and shit's going to happen so full credit to Monreal and whoever's come up with this formula for set pieces and and corners uh, we're doing some real damage over the last two games and Nacho's the man and you can just see he he's come back with an energy and a belief um, that has been 
you know, probably the story of the last two games post Alexis, uh, whatever you want to say about Alexis and and, and the Alexit, um, we've definitely responded. Uh, sure. Players seem like let's call it a cloud, and clarity has been uh, cloud has been cleared, clarity has been provided, and but conversely, Kishelny and Monre- Monreal are back and. You know, I, I know you had a little jab at Arson for the quiet leader comment about Monreal. Yeah, can we can we but, get on to that real quick? Since or did you did you have something else you want to finish up with there first? Well, well, I'll I'll, I'll be the straight man to it, which is there's obviously some merit to it, and it's obvious to anybody who watches the game uh, that Kishelny and Monreal have have kind of almost double handedly tilted the energy and the balance of this team and given it a stability and uh you know when we first saw monreal in the first year or two he didn't have that but he's he, at the age of whatever he is now what is he 31 or something until he's Might 32 yeah yeah god forbid you know uh <laughs> elder statesman uh, but really bring in the game and the leadership. So, Elliot, over to you. Yeah, no, so Paul, I, to anyone who's not familiar, Arsene Wenger said that Nacho Monreal is a silent leader, and he said he's someone who comes to, to practice, trains hard, works hard, says nothing, goes home. And then he added a little coda to that, and he said those are the real leaders. And I would, I would argue with him, maybe it's semantics. Those may be role models, but they are not leaders, and I just wonder if it reflects in Arson as he's aged a desire to really control the message in his squad and in his dressing room, the message that's delivered to the players, to the team as a whole. He came into an arsenal that had a lot of vocal leaders. Um, he probably does not have any or certainly many of them now. And I think he has come to appreciate the guys who just get their head down and work. And while I agree they are role models, I don't know that you would call them leaders per se. Um, and it is a question if the manager doesn't like big personalities, you know, unfortunately the game is going the direction of big personalities. So I just, you know, I, I wonder, Paul, if, if maybe he's he's a little off the mark there calling that a leader. I mean, isn't that a little more role model-y than leader-y? Well, you see, I, uh, I disagree with you apart from when you use the term real leaders because that implies that's the only way to be a leader well, that is what that's, he's that's what he said he said yeah, those are yeah, the yeah. real leaders yeah i know that's that's where you sink my boat a little bit because you know uh per mertesacker uh is a real leader on the pitch and he points and he shouts and he gives a bollocking checks a real leader and he shouts and he points and he gives a bollocking and we, you know, Alexis was a leader. Matthew Flamini, uh, Rip, I really want to run to you. I can't yeah, believe it. No, no, <laughs> no, no, not so much. So, you know, Arson can't can't really go that way. Uh, it's not realistic. There, there are different kinds of leaders, and you need, if you want, the classic leader as well as the silent leaders. I take his point that it ain't the guy who points all, all the time and shouts all the time. That's not the only way to lead. And you can see it with Koscielny and Monreal. There's real leadership there. Mm-hmm. But And actually, but, if, if you look around uh, the game in general, there's there's actually, in most teams, there aren't many of those characters. Look at Man, I mean, Man City are the benchmark, right? Who have they got in their squad that's like that company and who never plays? That's, that's about their captains, David Silva, 
um, at the moment. It, I, there's much more of a yeah, focus yeah, Torre. Would you say, would you say yeah, yeah, uh, Torre? No, maybe no. Mm, <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> I, 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 it's more like technical leaders, or you know, the site like um, Aspilicueta at Chelsea. He's analogous to Monreal, right? They're similar sorts of player, do things in similar sorts of way. I, I think probably like just human interaction has changed maybe in the last 15 20 years and you just don't actually have that many types of player or even people anymore i think leadership just looks a bit different generally not just at arsenal yeah no that's fair i mean if you look around the league a few years ago it was gerard at at liverpool and it was yeah. john terry vomit uh at at chelsea and it was you know, take your pick at united you know skulls or gigs or um yeah, but now, Elliot, now the leaders are on, are on the sideline, mate. The leaders are the managers yeah. jumping into the crowd. The leaders of the of the club now are these um, superstar managers, right? And getting paid 8 to 15, 16 million a year. And in some cases, you know, sociopath managers. <laughs> yeah, and that's, what, that's what's happened. You, the identity of your leadership of your team is now in the guy in the, in the waistcoat and the sharp suit. Yeah, that's that. fair. That's a fair point. Well, well Tim, I, I want to give you some mic time here since you were gone and, and sorely missed. So I got two quick topics for you. <laughs> One is Iwobi. So I thought he grew into the game um, when we changed formations. I think he is much better from the left. I don't think that that is rocket surgery. Um, I don't think that is brain science. I think that that's pretty straightforward and easy to see why physically it suits him better. I struggle with Iwobi. I will make no bones about it. I see the talent. I'm not convinced he is the sure thing that I think you guys think he is. Um, I, I want to dive into this again with you with, with end product. You were very clear on previous pods and, and have been with me on Twitter as well, uh, admonishing me that it takes a while for the finishing to come. But do you think that there maybe is a technical flaw there? So Ozil lays on that magnificent chance. It just the way by the way, great job by Hector Bellerin, the build up to that chance. Um and a nice yeah, run by yeah. Ozil and a nice through ball to Ozil. And Ozil goes all matrix bullet motion to find a way to get the ball between the two defenders. And Wobi leans back and and scuffs it and it's not so much that I need him to be producing 15, 20 goals a season right now. I do think if you're going to play, if you're going to regularly start in a forward position for a big club, you have to have end product. So you have to be Anthony Martial or Mar- Marcus Rashford. You know, you have to be that. You can't necessarily be a Wobie, even if you have a lot of skill. And you can disagree with that uh, in a second when I'm done with whatever it is I'm getting to. But I guess the other thing I would just ask is then, do you think... Um, and, and Paul just texted. He did score last game, remember, just FYI. Yes, I will tell you an interesting side note about that. I think it was the second highest XG chance of the Premier League weekend. It was, it, at least the model suggests, it, you know, it's a, it's a must-score kind of situation. But anyway, putting that aside. So he gets into great positions. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. But that's why we need the end product. But so, so Tim, I guess I'm just saying, is there mm. is there a technical flaw there? Does he lean back? Does he not trust his, his motion? I, I mean, what will the end product come as he gets older but does he have to make some technical changes need some coaching technically to get to get that part of his game worked out generally speaking uh for his shooting yes yes i think so uh, although i think that's a little bit harsh on uh, on the chance he had i think if you watch it back ozil's ball just doesn't quite have enough on it um and awobi has to go and meet it and he just doesn't quite get his body around it but it, it's not quite as easy a chance as it looks. I actually don't think many players would have scored that. 
No, I, I said um, on Twitter, honest, I said not. unlucky in my tweet, and people lambasted me for not mm. being critical enough, which hashtag irony. <laughs> but, like, I mean, I, I think he could have maybe taken another touch then. I, it's unclear. I, just, I see a, a technical flaw in the way he strikes a ball. Clive has talked about it on the pod before, and that's where I think my worry yeah. comes from. Yeah, yeah, I think certainly in the way he, he strikes a ball at goal. Um, yes, I think he does. Um, I I don't think it necessarily showed in that example in particular. Um, but yeah, I mean, his, his in terms of end products, uh, I mean, first of all, Rashford's end product isn't great um, at the moment. If, again, if you check his numbers, I don't think he scored since like October or November or something. Hey, um, hey, he's, he's hey, you don't need to patchy. go off facts on my argument here. <laughs> <laughs> he's, Whereas he's it patchy. will be scored in the last game. Yes, yes, Paul, I know. <laughs> he's, yeah, no, a, a goal and assist uh, in, in the previous games. To yes, this. guys, and, okay. And look, I think it's, <laughs> it, it's quite clear that he prefers playing on the left. And I actually think in the first half he did a really good defensive job, um, which, which we don't often see from him. Um, he was he was never really found wanting in terms of and Moses is is pretty quick. Um, whether that's improvement in attitude or you know maybe it's it's because Moses is his international teammate and you know that brings out a bit of extra competitiveness. But I thought he was really on it in the first half in a defensive sense as well. Um, and in terms of end product, can I add, you know, Tim? Yeah, even in the first half, he put Jack through one on one with the keeper and. Jack took yeah. took a little bit of an ex, uh, a big touch there. So w- while you know, I'm with you on this. I, I see where mm. where Elliot's criticism is, but he's still doing a lot for us. Sorry, Tim. Yeah, go ahead. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and I I think um, he's probably probably the type of player he is at the moment, at least. Is more analogy. He's not at this level yet, but is a more analogous to a Rizitsky or a Hleb. Um, who also didn't, who never put up great numbers. Um, Rosicki never put up great numbers, um, but he was visibly a very, very important player for the way that we played and the way that we attacked. Um, he had a decent amount of goals around so, him, though, right? I mean, my yeah, criticism yeah, of Awobi exactly. is more a criticism of what we need from that position in this squad right now than it is of the player, if that makes any sense. Does that yeah, make any sense? Yeah, and... and it, it does, yeah, and I, and I get that. But if with what we're hopefully bringing in, um, you know that that should help. I mean, you're right. Like he's not, and I don't think the intention is either that you know he's a starting eleven player for Arsenal at this point. Um, I think it's you know we're just a little bit short on options. Ramsey's been out. Alexis hasn't been able to play, and has now been sold. And you know that he's playing. He's basically a high level squad player that's playing because quite a lot of players are unavailable you know Giroud's unavailable Welbeck's unavailable like there wasn't there, there was no one on the bench last night that I'd have said oh he should have been playing instead of a Wobi um you know if you accept that Ramsey wasn't deemed fit enough for 90 minutes so um yeah I mean uh, overall I don't get me wrong I wouldn't I wouldn't say he should be in the starting 11 every week um but I think that I think that he's developing pretty well he's, he's you know he's been a bit up and down this season but who hasn't, quite, quite frankly, um, and and you know I'm, I'm basically we've ripped up and started again um, in the year 2018 because Alexis has only played like one game this year, so we're in yeah. like the post Alexis era, but we haven't been able to get Mkhitaryan um, into a game yet, and whether we'll get Aubameyang or not, um, I tend to think we will, but 
eventually but you know obviously he's not there yet so we're in this kind of in-between um stage at the moment and because of a shortage of other options the way he has to play and yeah i think he's playing really well he you know he kind of reminds me a bit of jack i suppose in that <coughs> excuse me like jack not like a load of end product there but is playing well and helping the team to play well yeah fair enough i you know look Wobie's a weird one tim because like there, I can't put my finger on exactly what frustrates me about him. I mean, maybe it is just he gets into those good positions and then on a counterattack he'll make a boneheaded pass or he won't be able to finish and those things stand out in your memory after a game more than the little you know, breaking of a press or, or good defensive contribution. And he's a young player, come through our academy. He's clearly talented. These should all be good things. These should be reasons to root for him. Um, and yet he's, I mean, even more than my opinions on him, he's very polarizing if you head over to Twitter. Um, there are people that just can't stand him. Um, I mean, more than even a, a Ramsey. Uh, so can, it's, can I make a quick point on I, this game? I suppose, game? yeah, why not? With the Wobie? Yeah, why not? <laughs> um, I mean, if you look at where we were busy, I'm sure Clive can explain why. Uh, it was all down that left side. It was all through Awobi. His his touches and passes numbers <coughs> actually really high. Yeah. As is Monreal. Ozil spent a lot of time over there. Um, that's where all the that's where the busy was. Uh, you can see that El Neni has drifted. If you look at his average position, obviously he's the guy with the most touches and passes. Pretty much, he's drifting to the left as well. That's where the real action was. Yeah, no, that that's fair. Well, Clive, how about a final word on on Awobi technically and and positionally? What we're getting from, and then Tim, I I have that second topic for you, all queued up, teed up, ready to go. You're just gonna have to take a big swing at it. But but Clive, uh, Coda on the Awobi <laughs> discussion. Yeah, quickly. Um, I think the frustration with the Wobi is, it's it's not what he is, it's what we want him to be, and what we're doing is we're assessing him in that gap. We want him to be better because he's a solution. He's important to us going forward, and when we don't see it, the stress of what we're seeing forces us to criticise. Right, and I and I'm included in that because I think there's more in there. I think it's a special player in there, and we're looking at to read as to reasons as to why it's not happening. When there was a, an issue with his attitude, we all leapt on it. And when there's an issue with him technically, we all leap on that as well. But what I see, I'm a lot more forgiving when I see a player trying hard. And that's what he's doing right now. He's definitely trying hard. And he looks more involved and less intimidated in the group. And technically, what he's doing, it's very simple, right? It's almost like, it's almost like golf. What he's doing on his shooting, he's lifting his head. He's lifting his head and he's leaning backwards. As soon as you lift your head too early... You lean back, and when you lean back, he's trying to be too precise. He's trying too hard to score. I know that sounds crazy when I say that, but when you take shots, you know where the goal is. You should focus on the contact of the ball and the surface area that you want to strike and the part of the foot you want to use, and you keep your head down and you drive through. What he's trying to do is classic young player. I'm going to score. I'm going to score. Let me look at where this ball is going to go. Right, and when you do that, you lose focus on the contact. You start to you don't disguise your shot. The goalkeeper can read your eyes because he can see your head, and this is what's happening. And that chance, we all felt it as it comes to him. We're all thinking, is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? And that's how he felt. Right, and yeah. it looked like it, it lacked conviction. The conviction comes when you know where the goal is. You focus on the contact and you whip it with intention and you whip it early and that's what catches goalkeepers out it's just maturity and experience and i just hope someone's telling him to trust his power 
trust his instincts and drive through the ball. And it doesn't matter if you miss. At the moment, it looks like when I see him shoot, it, it really matters if he misses. So he's trying to hit target to get a new from the crowd when really he needs to focus on letting his power go and striking through the ball. Yeah, and, and I think all of that is right. And I think everything you guys have added to this conversation is is tremendously illuminating. I think ultimately what maybe is just the frustration is his role in the squad has maybe been bigger than where his development is at the moment, if that makes sense. And so with Mkhitaryan it's about to in, change so early, it's well, right. Yeah, well, that's what I was about to say. If, if Mkhitaryan's in and if we get a, a, a bombing and, and with Lacazette and Ramsey and Wilshire and Shaka, he'll become more of a sub slash part-time starter when we're undermanned. And, and that suits where he is in his development right now. Maybe it's best for him. Because there are players we throw into the deep end, they get killed, and then it doesn't work out. So uh, let's, let's see how that pans out. But Tim, my, my second point for you that I had before literally everybody weighed in um, <laughs> is just about this competition <laughs> uh, specifically. So basically, here's, here's the deal, right? We're going back to Wembley. Uh, it is basically our second home now. We win there more than Spurs do. And... <laughs> It's great. It's wonderful. You you cannot be anything other than elated for the day out, the chance to go. I mean, granted, our last time in the final of this competition was not a great memory. But we have a chance to make that right, admittedly, against very intimidating opposition. But let's be realistic for a moment. This is a competition where until the semifinal, and even to some extent in the semifinal, you play the youth team, the reserves. Um. How do you reconcile the fact that it's a Wembley final and chance to win a trophy with the reality of where this competition stands in the pecking order? Is it is your mm. attitude more of the who gives a fuck, it's a final and it's a trophy, uh, or maybe a little bit more muted? No, my my attitude is, is very much uh, that this is the final and this is a trophy. I, th- I think I've said a, a lot of times, I, I love cup football, and um, I, I guess that, I'm quite old-fashioned um, in that respect. I, I love the League Cup. I really, really enjoy it. Well, top not top four chase that. hasn't been getting your blood pumping, Tim? What the hell's wrong <laughs> with you, man? <laughs> and I, it, it's weird at the moment, right? And um, <clears throat> I've got I've got something planned, actually, to write uh, vaguely on this subject next week, um, although it's going to be more about Wenger and how do I reconcile the fact that I think Arsene Wenger should go with him actually starting to do really well in the domestic cups, which I personally really value. And there's a real tension um, for me personally about the fact that I really value the domestic cups and I really enjoy them, but I understand where they are in the pecking order. I understand why top four is important and more important and, and everything else. But um, so basically, this tension between I understand why the club makes the decisions it makes, and were I in their position, I would make the same ones. But, you know, that kind of just being a fan and thinking, yeah, I, I really enjoy the League Cup games. They're, they're just completely different. It's a total change of pace. It's a real... And the whole reason we have domestic cup competitions in England is to break up the regularity of league football. And um, that, that's just that's just become less relevant now because football's a, a 24... It's covered 24-7 and there's transfer rumours and there's oh, this manager didn't shake this manager's hand and there's press conferences and stuff like that. So actually there's less room in people's conscience for uh, consciousness for for cup football. But I, I still love it. I still absolutely love it. I love the FA Cup games. I love the League Cup games. 
Um, you know, my, my first year as an Arsenal season ticket holder when I was eight, uh, eight nine. Um, we we won both domestic cups and we finished tenth in the league. And I loved it. I thought that was a great season. And uh, I've I've still kind of held on to that because you know that big part of me is like, well, fuck it. I'm not the manager. I don't I don't have to worry about um, you know who like what the starting lineup should be in any particular week. And I'm not saying like he should play his first team from the third round. I I wouldn't if I was him. But. I still really enjoy and value the domestic cups, and and I'm really really excited about this final. and And for me, because I'm you know I'm a bit of a nerd about these things. We've not won it for 25 years. Um, I was there the last time we won it. I was nine years old, and uh, it's one of my one of my favourite memories um, of being an Arsenal fan. And I know I know that sounds very kitsch, but it's absolutely the truth. And I, I and it. It kind of bothers me that it's been this long since we won it, and it bothers me that Arsene Wenger hasn't won it, and all these things that really is just like nerdy collector type things. But that, but that's me. That's how I am as a football fan. I'm, I'm like, I'm a train spotter, you know. And um, when it, when it comes to football, so I, I'm absolutely delighted to be in the League Cup final. I fully understand where it is in priorities. I fully understand, you know. I'm not telling anyone that they should really value this if they don't it's perfectly up to them but personally I do and I cannot wait for this final and not least because if we end up losing to Man City I I can take that better than losing to um, certain other opponents uh, we could have played with it that we could be playing so you know I'm, I'm absolutely I'm really excited about it and this is the game I personally would think about most um, in the next in the next kind of month or so, uh, maybe with the exception of the North London derby, but, but this is very much where my mind is. Um, so I'm, yeah, absolutely, I am absolutely one hundred percent in the. This is a final. Let's enjoy it. Let's go for it. Let's see what happens. And that's all well and good and great and and well said. The fact that you didn't mention Ostersunds as one of the things you're looking forward to is absolutely <laughs> sickening to me. Shame on you. Um, and here's here's the weird thing: I haven't enjoyed the Europa League this year at all. I thought I would, but I think it's uh, maybe it will get better. Um, but I thought the group stages were were dire. It was very yeah. tough to endure. Well, very tough to endure. You know why? I mean, because at the end of the day, we didn't get so in the Champions League. We had some group fate group phase games where we just battered lesser opposition and it was fun to watch and our first team went out and won you know 5-1 and 4-0 and stuff like that these were games where we played second teams that were disjointed in the back three it was sort of conservative it was a little bit clunky i mean other than what was it there was the one game at home was it uh it was the german cologne Cologne. yeah 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 that was all right yeah because of the atmosphere um but you know look that it is what it is and then I, I, well, all right. So, I mean, does everybody kind of concur with that, Paul? Real quick, uh, a thought about this. I mean, we all yeah. on this pod, I think, are ready for a change of manager and believe that Arsene Wenger's time has passed. And, and I think all of us also feel a great um, degree of affection for the man in thinking that. Is there a slight cognitive dissonance with the Arsene out opinion and then at the same time the cup success he's had over the past few seasons i mean at a time when he seems to really be losing his grip on competing in the league competing in europe operating in the latest transfer window he has had arguably his best ever run of domestic cup football inarguably i mean is this is this creating any cognitive dissonance for you yeah it is for sure uh like tim 
uh, how do you not want to give the guy his head? No, no pun in, no uh, rude stuff. Sorry, intended. I wasn't listening, but is someone getting head? Is someone giving yeah, head? Yeah, <laughs> yeah the manager. Happening? Oh, never, um, never mind. <laughs> That's okay. On the strength of his cup appearances. Um, and, and, you know, there's always that part of me that wants Arson to prove everybody wrong, um, which he hasn't done for several years now. Um, it, you could say he doesn't deserve any additional chances, but here we go. Maybe Sven and Raul will go around the place doing a David Dean for him. Um, and between them and Ivan, we'll refocus uh, Arson on what the priorities need to be, which is fighting for top four isn't enough, especially when you're not in it. Um, so, you know, maybe we'll see that new arson, that, the the old arson of being pushed by David Dean to, uh, hey, arson, you asked for a, a centre-back, but look what I found along the way. I found this Obama Yang fella who was going cheap, so I just couldn't resist him for you. So, you know, that that's still in me. Yeah. So there is, uh, and the FA Cup it doesn't help because, as you say, it creates that dissonance. And to Tim's point, you know, I, uh, I'm just a TV watcher. But well, that wasn't really his point. If it was, it was very mean of him. Um, <laughs> I'm just a TV watcher. But while that wasn't a very good game in many ways last night, I enjoyed the snot out of it yeah. because oh, yeah. it was a. It was a real it, the two-legged aspect to the semi-final too as well added an interesting twist and you know here these are real teams we're playing at this stage and they're playing their their first 11s and we'll go and face city and they'll play their first 11 there's no reason for them not to and they'll want to win it and they'll want to prove a point and we're good at at uh, cup finals um no it's everything cup competitions so yeah it wasn't a great game uh, even when we were losing that game uh, uh, i was I was uh, energized for it. So there is something different about a cup competition, any way you slice it. Because there's an outcome. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, there's an outcome, right? I mean, you you get a draw at Stamford Bridge, and you're like, well, that's a good result under the circumstances. But at the end of this game, they're out, and we're moving on to Wembley, and they're not. And Conte's imploding and saying he had no one on his bench and, you know, losing the plot and grabbing one of his his assistants by the scruff of his neck and throwing him along the touchline or whatever he's doing. I mean, it, it's yeah, great. Uh, and while Conte may have been in a, a little bit of a sl- slow meltdown, I don't think it's any coincidence that it was the cup, little old League Cup semi-final, in which that the, the car seems to have finally tipped off the cliff here. Chelsea are not pleased that they're out of this cup and he's using them as the excuse for yeah. why. Yeah, it's fantastic. If we can send them into implosion mode, all the better. Um, Clive, a, a final quote on this. I mean, I, I think we've gotten the the takes that are needed, but I would like to get yours really quickly on whether you care that we're in the final of the League Cup. Yeah, I care. I care. I, I really care how we got there as well. And to go back to the, the Wenger narrative, you know, what he did in this game was in-game tactics. Right, and we've spoken about that many, many times on this podcast about how frozen he is, how he waits for the seventieth minute, how he doesn't see things quickly enough. He saw it, he changed it, he came up with a solution, and it changed the game. Right, he made players who were dead bodies in the first half look like wonderful athletes in the second half, and so how we did it is really, really important. How we beat 
City and Chelsea in the semi-final and final last year and how we're going to beat Chelsea and City this year. That sort of stuff is quite impressive because they want it as much as we do. And historically, sometimes when it comes to the crunch moments versus the big teams, we've fallen away. But we seem to be raising ourselves for the cup games. And it's, um, yeah, it's good. I think when you look at him, the, the narrative I look at, I'm wondering about is... <coughs> I look at him and say, the way you operate, mate, is a bit old and stale. But I'm looking at the club, I'm seeing what's happening in the background, thinking, if we change how we operate, and our manager starts doing things tactically like he did yesterday, that's going to really test people's thought process about whether the manager should go or not. You know, So that's, that's to be seen in the summer, how we recruit and sell, and how we move, and how the new director of football operations settles in, and how people feel Wenger is aligned to that or not. But, yeah, if he starts to do coaching like he did yesterday and we start to operate like a proper adult football club, I wonder what we're all going to feel in a few months' time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course. I mean, it it doesn't necessarily forgive how the season started such that it's a mountain to climb to get back to top four, but I totally agree with you. And independent of the fact that I'm thrilled we're in a cup final, I'm scared of it, but I'm also excited for it, and that's kind of how you should feel. Uh, let's say goodbye on a final quick topic, though, and that is Aubameyang, because transfers do hashtag numbers. And Tim, uh, first mm. of all, you think we'll get him or not? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I, I tend to. Uh, there's just so much noise about it in the press, and uh, <clears throat> I, I mean, I'd, I'd say getting anxious about stuff that gets leaked out while there's clearly a negotiation going on is, is a complete waste of time because you hear so much information, almost all of which is contradictory, which means that it's being that information is being put there, it's being put there for a reason, and if it's being put there for a reason while a negotiation is going on, you should really take it with a pinch of salt. Um, it, clearly, they're negotiating the transfer, um, what else is happening? I just don't think we know because there's so much kind of rubbish floating around about it, and it can't all be true. So assume it's all. And by rubbish. the time it gets to us, it's out of date anyway. You guys are familiar yeah, with the phrase yeah. "those who forget history are doomed to repeat it," right? <laughs> um, yeah, but when when was the last time Arsenal didn't seal a big transfer that, I, that they were actually like negotiating? Maybe Higuain. Yeah, I can't. I can't remember too many. Lamar, to be maybe that was a change of mind, though. Higuain, wasn't it? We went to something it, else. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember yeah, who did we Suarez, go to. Doesn't but... ring a bell. Um, hey, <laughs> uh, so well, just quick, super, super quickly. Um, if the deal does break down because we won't give them Olivier Giroud, would you come to my funeral and put flowers on my coffin? Yeah, probably. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> so then, I, I guess Tim, the, the the final thing to then ask is if Obama Yang's coming. This manager hasn't always been great when spoiled for choice, you know, so to speak. Um, yeah. Aubameyang, Lacazette, Ozil, Mkhitaryan, Ramsey, Wilshire, Shaka. That's seven. Mm. At most, he can play six of them. At most. Mm. What do you think he's going to do if he's faced with that situation? I mean, maybe uh, there'll be an element of horses for courses um, because you can't play the same same team in every game. Um, sure, but he tends but, to like to have a, a first eleven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think Lacazette um, will lose out really because um, okay. otherwise we'll be playing. You can't play two up front and Mkhitaryan and Ozil 
in a four-man midfield. I, I don't see how that works. You can't play and, uh, one of you can't play Lacazette and Mkhitaryan <clears throat> in nominally wide roles in like a four-three-three or something like that. I, I I don't really see that for Lacazette. If if you want someone to play in that position, play just buy someone that that actually plays that position. It it sounds like Wenger actually said that Mkhitaryan certainly at the start will be wide, um, which suggests that he's minded to go like you know either four-two-three. Uh, Four two three one or four three three, um, so yeah, I I think generally speaking, Lacazette will be the loser there. Well, yeah, and I mean that's a shame. Aubameyang. I mean he's done nothing wrong, right? I mean no, no, no. But he, also, Aubameyang wouldn't be able to play in the Europa League, so Lacazette would lead the line in the Europa League, and yeah, would go from there. But I think he'd he'd be the one that would lose out. Yeah, and I mean if that's the case, you can see Giroud being more. Uh, dispensable, right? Because, yep. I mean, if, if you're looking at Lacazette as an option off the bench and Welbeck too, by the way, and then Giroud potentially being the third of those bench options at striker, I mean, there'd be games where he wouldn't even make the bench under that scenario. So, I, I mean, it, it all makes sense, assuming Giroud can convince his missus to move to Germany for six months. Um, every, everyone else fine with that? Anyone else have a burning Aubameyang take they got to contribute? Just one quick thing, which is any other season in the last four or five, six years, there's no way we'd be in for Aubameyang. Uh, Wenger wouldn't have countenanced it. So something clearly, and I think we could all have a good stab at it, but something's different at the moment. And if they keep that up, if if they keep up this David Deanness of of pushing the players onto Arson that he should want, uh, who knows? You know what? It's it's great. I mean, look, Paul. I get down on the team and down on the club at times, but he is a great player, and he appears to be available, and we are in for him, and that is exciting. And you know, yep. it, it is also a reflection of the fact that you can't lose Alexis and just replace him with Mkhitaryan. There are people out yep. there who want to fool themselves into, oh, losing Alexis will rediscover our identity. That's pixie dust. That's that's m- magic bullshit. We need two players to replace what he provided. Like and and Obama Yang and Mkhitaryan Three. combined. Three. We need we need a third player to keep giving the ball away. Touche. Touche, my friend. Touche. On that note, uh, write nasty things in the comments about Paul uh, no, sorry. Um, we're going to leave it there. Uh, Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure. Paul's on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Thank you, Pause. Woohoo. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you. Not a lot of uh, data comes from these cup matches, so Scott sat on the sidelines this time, uh, but we will certainly have him back. We don't play over the weekend. We play Swansea on Tuesday, I believe. Is it Swansea? It is, right? Yep. Um, yep. Little old Swansea who can't beat anyone except Liverpool. So we'll have to be on our toes for that, but hopefully a first look at uh, Mkhitaryan and, dare I say it, Obama Yang, maybe? Maybe? Probably not. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Give us five-star re- reviews and write nasty things about really any of us. You know what? Write them about me. God knows I deserve it. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll come back and talk a little more football after Arsenal 10. Swansea nil. No.